0: Hey, let's pray. That was not very enthusiastic. Come on. Jeez. Let's go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are worthy of our praise. I thank you, Lord. It is a blessing to gather together with the saints and those who aren't. We pray for those who are here who have not to come to the place where they have received you as their Lord and Savior. I pray that you administer to their hearts this morning. And Lord, we thank you for your word. It is truth, Lord. And it is the truth that sets us free. We thank you and we pray that we would be good stewards of your truth. And now as we get into your word, I pray that our hearts would be sensitive and open to the truth. And I pray that you would transform us by the renewing of our minds. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Can you say hello to a couple people, please? All right, come on in and have a seat. Good morning, everybody. Hope you're doing well. We have a few announcements before we get into the Word this morning. If you want to take out your Bible, this would be a good time to do that and turn to the book of Luke, chapter 8. If you need a Bible, there are Bibles under the seats. So as you're turning there um, tonight, is a home fellowship in Flower Mound, and that's at 5:30 this evening. Um, the information and the address is in the bulletin or online. You can get that. Also, uh, we've been we started announcing last week, and uh, we'll continue to do that up until the um, time when a guest speaker that we're having is coming. October 1st, and he's a very well-known speaker. A lot of you know who he is. He's J. Warner Wallace, and uh, he is an author, and he was a cold case homicide detective and came to know the Lord through applying cold case techniques to the Bible, and had come to found the truth based on the truth of God's Word that is undeniable if one will take the time to look at it. So he actually wrote a book. I encourage you to get that book. It's a very good book called Cold Case for Christ. The men, he's going to come for the men's retreat, and that's going to be on uh, Saturday, the day before. So he's going to be at the men's retreat, and then the next day he'll be here at the fellowship, so everybody can get an opportunity to hear him speak and listen to how he applies these cold case techniques to understanding the truth of God's Word. So that's coming up uh, um, uh, Wednesday night. We are in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, if you want to read ahead on that. And then the um, last thing... I'm just going to throw it out there, and I'll give you more details uh, in a bit. But uh, a lot of you know, or some of you know, I'm a chaplain for the police department right across the street, and they asked if we would host an event that they're going to have on October 7th. And there's a a national campaign called Faith and the Blue, and it's a sort of a campaign to try to unite the faith communities with the local police community. So they asked if we would host that. It's um, Saturday, October 7th. So if you put that in your calendar, the first thing is just for everybody to come and be a part of that would be huge just to show support as our church is the host church. But then um, the chaplains are tasked. with. I think there's uh, this always fluctuates how many chaplains there are. But it's between like 10 and 12. But we're tasked with... Hosting this event in a way where we're going to be making chili in the chili kick cook off and there's going to be it's like a little competition and I don't make chili. (laughs) I eat chili, but I don't make chili, but it's uh, they also tell us that the congregations that the chaplain represents can also have somebody from their congregation to do that. So it is a competition and um, I'm fairly competitive. So if any of you have won an award or multiple awards <laughs> for making chili, please come talk to me. Um, if you haven't won any awards but you think your chili is pretty good and it's not bought at a store or in a can, then come, come talk to me. But I would like to win. I'll just put that out. I would like to win. Um, but I also just ask you to be in prayer because that's gonna. the community is going to be invited to this. The police department is going to invite the community. And so we just want to put our best foot forward. And we want to be a blessing to the police department as well as our community. So keep that in mind. And um, I think that's it. So if you'll draw your attention to the section of scripture that we will be looking at this morning in, in chapter 8. This is a, We're going to tackle a pretty large group of scriptures, but we're going to move through it because it's really just a narrative account with a very poignant story that has a very deep message for us. This is a, what's often called the parable of the sower, and uh, we find this in all three synoptic gospel accounts. Synoptic means similar. So Matthew, uh, Mark, and Luke are similar. They they share similar things and similar stories about the account of Jesus. John is a gospel as well, but it's not considered a synoptic because John takes a whole nother view um, and angle to how he teaches about the things that Jesus did. But anyway, it's often called the parable of the sower. And I really think it's better titled the parable of the soil. Even better to sort of bring it into modern day vernacular, I think this is a good way to have a parable called the parable of the selfie. Because this parable is like looking at a mirror. This parable is an opportunity to look at ourselves spiritually to really see where we are. And I think that's what's important, is that we're just simply honest to where we are spiritually. And this parable, we'll call it the parable of the selfie, it gives us a view of ourselves spiritually, where we're at spiritually. And the Bible tells us it's very, very important for us to have a proper view of where we are spiritually. And so with that, we're just going to dive right in and look at this parable starting in verse 1 of chapter 8. It says, now it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village preaching and bringing glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were there with him and certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. And it lists some of those women Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven, seven demons. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod steward; and Susanna, and many others who provided for him from their substance. So we start off, we... We see that Jesus has a team. So look at this parable. This parable is something that Jesus taught and he brought to the people. We see that this could be looked at or considered sort of Jesus' second tour around the Sea of Galilee. So what Jesus would primarily be doing in his ministry is, is traveling around that See from village to village, city to city, and he would go and he would preach and then he would do miracles to back up his preaching. and as he was going around doing this this uh, in Luke chapter four verses forty two and forty four tells us that he was doing that and then here we see him doing that again. So that was really his his ministry and that's one of the as a side note, one of the amazing things about going to Israel is, if you go to the area of the Sea of Galilee, you can see pretty much where Jesus' ministry occurred, three and a half years of his ministry right in that place. And then there's a certain spot called Mount Arbel. And you go up there and it's a, this uh, mountain where Jesus possibly went up to the mountain to pray. And you can see the probably the, all of the Gospels and the ministry of Jesus in one eye's view. I'm picturing it in my mind right now. And just thinking about Jesus traveling around that area, around that sea, and all those interactions that we see that Jesus had in the Gospels, John actually tells us in the end of his Gospel that Jesus did so many miracles that the, the, all the books of the world couldn't even contain all the things that he did. So we're in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we're just getting a snippet of the things that Jesus did But we see here the focus of what Jesus was doing was preaching. And what that means is that he was bringing to the people the truth of God. And Jesus, that's why in John chapter 1, Jesus was the Word. And that's why he's described in that way by John, because Jesus himself, as God in the flesh came to communicate the things of God to mankind in a way that we can understand. So anything and everything we can possibly know about God the Father can only be known as we understand God the Son, Jesus Christ. So he is the revelation of the truth, a revelation of the eternal truth of God. That's why I enjoy and find it so amazing just to study Jesus and the Gospels over and over again, because it's just amazing. But anyway, it's important to know that as Jesus went around, that he did have a team. He did have a a group of people, and these group of people had different roles and different things that they did, and they were there to support the primary purpose, and that was the preaching and teaching of the Word. We see that, that group of people, we can... Uh, look at it now, sort of a, a picture of what the church is like. So these people that were supporting him, uh, s- some of them were females, which would grab someone's attention you, if you were to read in that culture that there are, are women being taught by Jesus, because the Pharisees of the day would not teach women. Women were looked at in that culture as inferior and looked at in a way where they were not to be part of Civilization or society in the same way as a man would look uh, or would be considered in a society. And so you have Jesus bringing these women along. These women, and it's notable that they're pointed out even by name, a few of them. Uh, one of them was a steward in Herod the king's house. It was probably her husband that was a steward or a servant. And that word that was used for him was that he was in charge of the, financial affairs of King Herod. And so she was the wife of a one that had a very prominent position in the Roman Empire. So she left that to follow Jesus. And then you have Mary of uh, Magdalene and Magdala is a place that you can go to and and see in Israel on the Sea of Galilee. You can go to this actual place. And Mary was from there. That's why she's called uh, Mary Magdalene because she was from that area and so she it says here that she was demon possessed and not just one demon but she had seven demons and we don't know a whole lot more about her some speculate but unbiblically because we don't have any knowledge or evidence even in church tradition that she was a prostitute and we don't know that we just know that she was a woman possessed by seven demons, and Jesus casts out those demons. And now she's following, she's supporting, she's part of this group that's helping Jesus. And so as they move along in this group, we see this amazing picture of how these people were supporting the things that Jesus was doing from their own substance. So they were taking from their own financial uh, abilities and also their time and energy and talents. And they were using those things to support the ministry of Jesus. And so first, off, if we just take this first step in, into this scene to get to kind of get a feel, you see this uh, amazing picture of the pre-church, of what, how Jesus was calling people. And those people were so grateful for what Jesus had done for them, that they wanted to serve him, and they wanted to do it sacrificially, and they were willing to leave things to help Jesus, and they saw the importance of that word that he was preaching, that they themselves were recipients of being freed by the word, by the truth, by the power of Jesus, that they wanted to go and be a part of supporting, helping him do that more. And that's what it really means to give and to serve Jesus. To give and to serve Jesus, whether it's financially or whether it's through our time or our gifts or whatever God allows us and affords us to have. Our service of him should never be forced or under compulsion or pressure. It should always be because we want to further what God has done in our own life. And so we serve him from that attitude. We serve him from an attitude of gratitude. We serve him from an attitude of uh, we're so grateful for what he's done. Now we want to be a part of helping Jesus continue that ministry. And I think that's a great example for our church. That if uh, you don't want to do something and you don't want to give or serve, then that's okay. Don't do that. Better to not do that than to feel guilty or pressure. And then you do it and then you don't have the right heart to do it. So you can imagine this team, as they're going on, they're also experiencing this, these uh, amazing teachings that, that they're hearing out of Jesus' mouth. So that's another thing that they're being blessed by and getting to experience is that as they're with him, they're getting to experience him as well. Uh, just for example, if they would have not left and followed Jesus and stayed where they were, they would have just experienced that time Jesus was with, there with them And then in their thoughts and their memories and things like that. But as they're going serving him, they're continuing to experience the things of Jesus. And that's the blessing and the benefit of giving whatever it may be to Jesus is always getting to experience the presence, the power, and the working of Jesus in our life. So that's the team. Going around the Sea of Galilee, hopefully we can kind of picture that and just imagine ourselves being with Jesus and going around the Sea of Galilee watching him do all these miracles and and most importantly hearing the things that he was saying because that's the main thing what the things that Jesus was saying these were mind-blowing things he was preaching and telling them about the kingdom of God so so here here's those, here's his teaching the second part of this here, here's what he was saying so he says there was a great or a great multitude gathered. That means Jesus had these traveling people with him. He had specific people ministering to him, but then he was getting a crowd, bigger crowd. People wanted to hear what he was saying. And it says they had come to him from every city. And then he spoke by a parable. And here's what he said. He said, a sower went out, To sow his seed. So, a sower, what's a sower? We're not talking about a needle and thread. We're talking about a farmer who has a handful of seeds and he's throwing them out on the ground. So, this sower, he has the seed, he's throwing these seeds on the ground, and what would a a farmer hope would happen when he throws out the seed? You would hope that something would come from that. So he's throwing and and spreading the seed, scattering the seed. And then here's where the selfie part starts to come up. Here's where the mirror comes up. He said, and there's four different soils. So here's one. He said, some of that seed that he's throwing out, it fell by the wayside. What's that? The wayside is, if you think about hiking, it's the dirt path that you walk on so if you're going to farm and you wanted things to come out of your out of the ground this wouldn't be the best place to do that correct so just being in Texas some of you in in your yards you have some spots that nothing's going to grow it's clay and hard and no matter what you do, the grass won't grow there well, and you just kind of given up, and you maybe want to start talking about looking like Arizona in your backyard and just throwing cactus and rocks. It's kind of like that. It's, it's not the best place to, to throw your seed. But it's interesting that Jesus still threw his seed there. He's throwing it everywhere. So because of where it was located, the seed, it says it was trampled down. It was was walked on. These little seeds were walked on. They're pushed into this ground, which means they became very, the seeds were very vulnerable because they, they weren't able to go into the soil. And because of that, it became food for the birds. That's what he says. And the birds, they came and they devoured the seed. So that was it. And then there's a second soil called the rock, rocky soil. So it's in verse six. Some fell on the rock, and it actually sprang up. But it says, notice it says, as soon as it sprang up. What does that mean? It's real quick. So the seed was thrown out. It's different kind of soil. It's not the wayside soil. But if, uh, if or when you go to Israel, or if you want to look on YouTube you find out Israel's very rocky. So there, there, there's rocks all over. The rocks are very good weapons there because they're in great supply. So, right, Avi? I see you over there. See, Avi knows. So there, there, there's rocks all over, but, but this, this seed grabbed a little bit. So there's a little something that, that happened. It grabbed a little bit, and it came up quick. But then it says it withered away because it lacked moisture. So that was the second soil. And then the third soil is found in verse 7. That's the thorny soil. So some, of the, or some fell among thorns. And it says the thorns sprang up with it. That's the key. With it. And choked it. And then finally, the good soil. Verse 8. But others fell on good ground good soil and that seed sprang up and actually produced something here it describes what is being produced as a hundredfold so if, if you like gardening or you're good at that sort of thing if you put one single seed in and a hundred pieces of fruit come from that are you feeling pretty good that's really exciting that's an amazing thing about seeds and about gardening is getting to see life happen out of one little seed. That's pretty amazing what's in that seed, isn't it? It's pretty amazing that in that little seed is the energy for life which can bring something that is actually edible and delightful and good and then get this life giving to other people so then it says when when Jesus said these things then he cried and that's not like our crying like with tears he's he's sort of proclaiming or yelling out he who has ears to hear let him hear now it's interesting he would say that because He's he's preaching and the people around him obviously would be hearing what, what he's saying. But Jesus understands, like right now, that I'm saying the same thing, but each one of you and me are hearing what I'm saying differently. Every one of you, may have a different response, a different feeling, a different reaction. But there are certain things that are constant. What's constant? The Word of God is constant. So that doesn't change. The sower, God, the one who's putting out the seeds, and he, he's doing that through, he can do that through human instruments, but as long as it's the Word of God, it's, it's God's Word, that's the same. It's God, He's the same. So what's the variable in all these examples? The soil. The soil is the variable. And that's why Jesus says, he who has an ear, let him hear. He's saying, what I'm proclaiming to you is a truth that has been set forth by the eternal... God that never changes, that God created the world by so that the world works according to this truth, no other way. And this truth then ultimately has the ability to change a person. On the inside, to the extent where having received the word of God, they will now be children of God. They will now be part of God's kingdom. They will now be those who have eternal life in Christ. So that's why he says, I'm saying these things. This is right. This is true. This is unchangeable. I'm bringing them to you, but ultimately, now what happens is up to you. This part he's saying is up to you. And isn't it amazing that even Jesus didn't force people to accept what he's saying? He always left that to the hearer. Ultimately, This is the free will that God has afforded us and given us, that we we have an opportunity to receive what God is saying or to reject. But he uses a certain technique. That's what's happening in verse 9. Notice this. The disciples actually asked him, what does this parable mean? So the disciples themselves didn't know what he was talking about. But Jesus says in verse 10, he says, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it's given in parables that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. So this is amazing. So Jesus is using a certain technique to to tell the truth about the kingdom of God. The technique is called a parable. Parable literally means to throw alongside. So Jesus, what he's doing is he's throwing alongside an earthly truth. So those in that time, they would understand what he's talking about, especially because it's an agricultural type of existence that they had. So they would understand what he's talking about. In terms of farming, the seed, the soil, the crops, the fruit. They would get that. But the meaning, not everybody would get. And Jesus purposely taught like this. In a form called a parable. For two reasons. One is to conceal. Two is to reveal. And do you know what the difference is between his truth being concealed or hidden from one or his truth being revealed to one? The difference is, if you raise your hand, that's who the difference is. It's you. You're the difference. It's me. I'm the difference. And the difference comes about by what we want. So uh, David Guzik, the uh, author of the Enduring Word Commentary, which is online and free and really good, he, he puts it like this. I like the way he puts this. So if you hear this, and remember Jesus was talking to a lot of people, and there, so a, a multitude, and you might want to say a mixed multitude, and Jesus is saying that you're one of these four soils. So that's a good way for us to think about it. Which soil are we? But if, if you are a farmer and not interested in spiritual things, so that's really the key. Are you interested in spiritual things? If you are like the disciples at this time, then you may not understand something right off the bat and question it, but then as you press in, it'll be revealed spiritually to you but if you don't really care and you're more interested about the things of this world and yourself and your life in this world then you'll look at this maybe like a farmer would so a farmer would hear this and Dave Guzik puts it like this when the farmer heard this he would be thinking Jesus is telling me that I have to be more careful in the way that I cast my seed I guess I've wasted a lot of seed that's what a farmer would think. A politician, he says, would think he's telling me that I need to begin a farm education program to help farmers more efficiently cast their seed. This will be a big boost to my reelection campaign. And then a newspaper reporter said he's telling me that there is a big story here about the bird problem and how it affects the farming community. That's a great idea for a series in the newspaper. And a salesman, he thought, well, Jesus is encouraging me in my fertilizer sales. He says, I I could help that farmer more than he knows if he only used my product. So you see, that's often in a mixed multitude, like in this sanctuary in this place or people that are be, going to be hearing this in all different ways. And so the spiritual truths that we see in the Bible can only be dis- discerned spiritually. And can only be truly understood understood and discerned spiritually if we're hungry to know God. And if not these truths will be concealed They'll stay in that parable, or one might say that was a, a good teaching for my business, I can apply that to my leadership tomorrow, or this was a good pep talk, or a good way to be helped self help, or something like that. But one who desires the things of God and to know God spiritually they will press in because they want to know God. They desire the deeper things of God. And because of that, they'll they'll cry out to God and they'll say, God, what does this mean and how does this apply to me and reveal these deeper truths to me and help me to know you more personally and to that person, then the Bible becomes something completely different. It becomes an eternal treasure chest of the things of God that can never be exhausted. As the psalmist said in Psalm 119, 162, that I rejoice in His word as one who finds good treasure. And that's why some people, they, they just can't wait to hear the word. They can't wait to get in their Bibles, they can't wait to have their devotion time because God is revealing himself to them and they're growing in that revelation and that's a reward, that's a blessing, and it's a treasure. And then there there are others who are at other different levels of interest. And so which one are we? So now the rest of the parable, Jesus then actually gives the translation. And here's what he says. He says, the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. So what he's doing, and mind you, the disciples didn't know what he was talking about. But they asked him. They wanted to know. And they wanted to know deeper things. And so here here Jesus is revealing it to them. But notice there was a key. So parables have a key that unlocks the whole thing. And by the way, in Matthew's account of this, he tells us this parable is the key that unlocks all the other parables. So the key is to understand that that seed is the word of God. Probably one of the 12 that we were told earlier in this story that was with him, whose name was Peter... As he's watching this and hearing this, and then fast forward to after Jesus' death, after his resurrection, after Jesus' ascension, and as Peter is going on to carry out the work of Christ, he says this, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. He says, Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So can you imagine Peter hearing this and saying, I have no idea what that means. And then Jesus says, I got you. That seed has a spiritual meaning. Seeds the word of God. And Peter understood that that, Word of God, it was incorruptible. In other words, if someone is truly going to come to life spiritually, it's because they receive the incorruptible Word of God and that seed brings forth life. But as he explains this now, we have the key. That's important. So the seed is the Word of God. And then he says in verse 12, he says, those By the wayside, they're the ones that hear. And then the devil, those are the birds, comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. So this is a hard heart. All of these soils have something in common and that they have all heard. They all have another thing in common and that is they heard the word of God. But these particular people, they shove it away. This is what a hard heart does. And because they do this, Satan comes and snatches the seed. But we have to note something that is so important here to understand. That whenever and wherever the word goes out, Satan is there looking to steal the word. This relates to us privately and personally in our homes when the word is there. To understand Satan's desire is to understand that he wants us out of the word, away from the word. He doesn't want the word to be any part of us. He doesn't want to be around it. Why is he so threatened by the word of God? It's because of the power that is in the word of God, like the power that is in the seed to bring forth life. So Satan's strategy is to be where the word is, be where the seed is, and pick People off, rip off, take away. You might want to say distract, but you can sort of boil all of us down into get away from me. Satan is constantly tempting people to say, get away from me. I don't want to hear this. And the problem is, if you're in that boat, you have a conscience. Why do you have a conscience? Because God made us with a conscience. And God made us in his image. What does that mean? That means that we are designed to be in relationship with God. That's how he designed us. And so it is a torturous existence to constantly have to push the word of God away because we cannot escape it. Even all creation tells us that there is a creator. We can't hide from it. We can't hide from our conscience. And so this person is going to live a miserable existence where their energy and their effort is going to be focused on pushing the truth away, pushing God away, and then they are Satan's. That's what it says. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 describes this in this way, verse 3. It says, Even if our gospel is veiled or covered up, it's covered up or veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age, Satan, has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God, should shine on them. So that's one selfie. Here's the second selfie. This is the shallow heart. So it says, uh, Jesus' translation of this, but the ones on the rock are those who hear it and they actually have some initial response to it and they're even happy about it they receive it so notice that word again so that's the opposite of pushing it away right but they sort of let it in a little bit and they're happy about that but the problem is it says these they don't have a root so, if a, a plant or a flower or a tree, if it doesn't have a root, not much can go on there, right? You just see a little something on the surface, but what's really important is what you can't see, and that's like faith. That what we see is simply a symptom of what's inside a person's heart that is not we're not able to see, and that's the root system of Christ in our heart, the Bible says, out of the abundance of our heart, our mouth speaks. In other words, out of the internal or inner person, where we interact and fellowship with God, where also we have the ability to accept or reject, where we have the ability to submit to or push away. That is where this is all happening, the soil. So there, here's an initial response. You might want to say because he said they received it with joy. This might be an emotional response. This might be a, a service where at the end is kind of everybody's broken down and they come up and play real moving emotional music, and that music is moving people, and they think, well, this is going to be the answer to all my problems, and this this is great. And then it says there's no root. So it says they believe for a while. So that's key too. So there seems to be some sort of time element here. So there's an initial response, but it says then something happens. Get this, I just want to take a deep breath and slow down. I'm saying that for me because I'm getting fired up. Because there's always going to be this. It says a time of temptation. You might want to say there's always going to be, in every single person who has an initial response to Christ, there's going to be a time of putting to the proof if they really believe or not. That's actually literally what that word means, time of temptation. It means putting to the proof. There's always going to be something to test if our faith is genuine or not. And it says here, it says, these people that probably, all these people are clapping and they probably heard all the angels of heaven are rejoicing because the Bible says that. So it, the, immediately it's, it's exciting, you can't believe it, but it, there's this, a little something happens and they realize, well, I don't really, I don't want to do this anymore. And it, it kind of alludes to it's a short time. Maybe this, these type of people, have been told if, if you receive Christ, you're going to be wealthy and healthy and wise and you're going to ascend up the corporate ladder and take over the world. And then you get fired. And then you're like, all right, that's, uh, I'm not doing this anymore. In other words, it's not real. It's not real because only true faith can sustain one through times of trial. The third heart or soil or the third selfie. These are the ones that they fell among thorns. So these are people it says they heard, that's common to all of them. When they heard, they they go out, because we all have to live our life, and they're choked. So imagine a a beautiful flower sort of coming up, but there's a mixture. So it's not coming up by itself. It's coming up with weeds. And these weeds are are just strangulating this flower. It has no chance, does it? And he describes a a person like that. It says what's really choking a, a person that maybe has an initial response to the word of God. But then there's three things. He says, what's choking them is cares, riches, and pleasures of this life. And because of those things, this flower or this seed that wants to bear fruit doesn't bear Any fruit doesn't mature, doesn't grow. So what is this saying? It's not saying that in and of themselves, cares, riches, and pleasures are bad. What it's saying is our faith cannot be mixed with those things. It's saying that all things, and in our case, cares, Riches and pleasures must be subordinate to our worship of God. To one who has true faith, all things become subordinate to the things of God. God has to be our everything. And because he's our everything, he takes our cares. We are rich in him and we have our pleasure in him. Now, does that mean we can't? eat a good steak, mean we can't go on vacation, mean we can't enjoy the things that are in this life. It does not mean that. But it means if those things are more important than God, if God is relegated to the backseat to those things, and we all know how powerful those things are, but they just demonstrate that we're live, really living our life for ourselves and not for God. And may I say... That when God is our passion and the one that we are rich in and the one we care about most, then everything else is more enjoyable. Life is more enjoyable because it has an eternal meaning. Everything has a greater meaning, a greater significance. But what happens is we put God in the right place. So, right, right in the very beginning of the Bible, the first words, In the beginning, God. And then everything that comes from that is the understanding of life in this world, the spiritual realm, eternity, good and bad, all these things. But without God, nothing works. You take the cause of everything out of the equation and then try to make things work, it'll never work. Because we can't escape, in the beginning, God. He made everything, including ourselves. And so this is the person who then is dominated by their selves. And because of that, they use these particular things to exercise their self in the world at the expense of a relationship with God. And because of that, nothing comes of it. The last thing, and this is a fruit-bearing heart. And it's really interesting because a quarter in this parable, a quarter of the people that hear the word of God, everything's same. only one quarter of those actually are true believers. So he says true believers. So here's the true believer. It's These are the ones that the seed fell on the good ground, and that's our heart. So this would be the the place where it just, it'd be the, the, the soil would just absorb the seed, right? There wouldn't be any pushing away. It would be accepting and receiving because that soil knows that seed is good and what they need. And it says that these are those who, they hear the word, and it says they hear it with a noble heart. That means an honest heart. Another word for that is just an, an accepting heart. And it says three things about them. They keep it. So temptation comes, they keep the word of God. The appeal of the things of the world come. They keep the word of God. Hardship comes, difficulty comes, they keep the word of God. All these distractions come, all these uh, worldly things come, they keep the word of God. That's number one. The second thing, that word of God is bearing fruit. What does that mean? That means the spiritual things of God then start to come out in actions, in behaviors, in choices, in decisions. Why? Because they are a different tree. And be, the tree that they are will bring forth the tree that the fruit is from. And so they keep it, and then their spiritual things begin to come from their life you see the desires for God, desires for prayer, desires for his word, desire to share him, desire to know him, to grow in him, all those things. So that's that's coming out of their life. And then notice the last thing, with patience. So some of you're like I was good until that part. And I'm losing my patience now cuz we've been here for a long time. Is this almost over? But he's not talking about that. He's talking about hupomone. You guys like that, right? Hupomone. It's a very interesting Greek word used in many different places in the Bible. But hupomone means the ability to stay in the fire. It means perseverance, endurance. It means that at, at the sight of something difficult, you don't split. You're not a spiritual coward. You're trusting in the Lord And you're willing to stay in place and allow God to work, no matter how difficult, how tempting, how painful. So one of the things that's being said is that a a true believer who has truly received the word of God, they continue on in the things of God. Now, that doesn't mean we we won't have times of backsliding and times where we're not as on fire as other times and times where uh, we get a little more dry than other times doesn't mean that it just means we're continuing to plod forward in the same direction and if we lose track or get off track we get back but now you hear a lot of stories of people who say well i used to be a christian and i used to be in a christian band and all these, I was famous, but I don't believe in Jesus anymore. Well, biblically, that person never believed in Jesus, really. And they had a superficial faith and would fall into one of these categories. Because Jesus says someone who has real faith, they stay in, in the long haul. So then he finishes, and we're just going to tag this little thing on in the end. Because it goes together. So watch this. So in regards to all this, all this, he says no one when he has lit a lamp covers it with a ves- vessel. Why is that? If you light a lamp, what's the purpose of it? To light something up, right? So he's saying that you wouldn't light something and then cover it up so it's not useful and being used for that purpose. He says, or you wouldn't put it under a bed and hide it. But you would set it on a lampstand that those who enter or come into, say, a room that they may see the light because that's the purpose. He says, for nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Therefore, here's the whole point, take heed or pay attention to how you hear. And that's how he wraps up this whole section. And it all comes down to this. How do you and I hear the word of God? We are one of the four. And what happens in our life will be determined by one of those four things that we see. Now, there's something that I want to just bring about to close this again. This is... Like the third close, probably, but. But here, here's the thing. If we could boil boil the, the whole thing down. What is what is necessary. In order for, the powerful, life giving. Uh, transforming word of God, to have an impact. We have to die, to ourself, in order for the seed to come to life. John chapter 12, verse 24 says, Assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. So that's the whole thing. There could be a kid that grows up in children's church their whole life, and they know more scriptures than anybody that has gone to seminary or has their MDiv or PhD in theology, but it will do no good until they die. But once they die, all those seeds will come to life. And that is the same with us here this morning. In order for the seed, the life of God's word to come to life, we have to die to ourselves so that the word of God can bring forth life in us. So we are one of four. And I pray with all my heart that every single person here now, right now, would determine in their heart to receive and not push away, to receive everything that God has because he loves you. And he proved his love by dying for you. And that tells us that he has a way for us That's much better than our own way. The devil comes to steal, rob, and destroy. And Jesus came to give life and that more abundantly. There's no two ways about it. You've either received it and are bearing forth fruit, or you're rejecting it and are deceived right now. So you make the decision. I make the decision. And the decision we make is not only for now, but it's for all eternity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and that we can know without a shadow of a doubt what the truth is. And I trust that all things in your word are going to come to fruition and as we understand the world and our lives in this world, we can just look at your word and see that everything is working exactly like you said. And so, Lord, I want to pray for anybody here who has been pushing away your word, shoving it away. I know you're, you're speaking to them right now, and I know it's a, just a heavy burden to continue to reject the truth in your word. And you love them so much that right now you're calling them, you're loving them, you're inviting them. But Lord, you won't violate their free will. And so I pray for anybody here that is not open voluntarily the door of their heart to you that they would do that now. And just receive the only thing that will last forever. The only thing that is eternal. And Lord, I pray for all the rest of us. That we would be your team. That we would come together as a body of Christ. Serving you and ministering in whatever role you've called us to have. Because we are living in times where it's becoming more and more obvious that you're coming back quickly, Lord. So now's the time to determine our eternity. Today is the day that we do that. May we be a church that unites together for this one cause, the cause of Christ, and to glorify His name. And may we be a beacon of light that's not hidden, but is put on a a hill. It will be a light of hope, a light of eternity, a light of love, a light of forgiveness, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand, and if anybody would like prayer this morning, our prayer team's going to be up front. Just as we sing this last song, just come on up. They'd love to pray for you, whatever's going on, whatever you need prayer for. Uh, If anybody has made the decision this morning to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior, come forward and let them pray for you. God bless you, and let's worship the Lord.